Today, Rinpoche continued the extremely complex section on special insight in Lama Tsongkhapa's great treatise on the stage of the path to enlightenment, showing how the real root of the teaching came from Lord Nagarjuna and his spiritual son, Aryadeva, and sometimes sons, uh, if we say Chandrakirti as well. Are we all set? We good? Which we're all set, right? Okay. Decent. So, again, welcome everyone to the Chen Reza, uh, Tibetan Buddhist Center. We are on, uh, just for a frame of reference, when we do get started with the text, page 115 in the English. Um, and it's just right at the top, number two, the history of the commentary on Nagarjuna's intended meaning. Um, so, but before we begin, uh, we look at uh, what, the, what this text contains. Uh, this text is actually, th what this text, the great treatise on the stage of the path to enlightenment, was written by Lama Tsongkhapa and is actually a commentary on Atisha's Lamp for the Path to Enlightenment, which is a very summarized text, only a couple pages long, but the contents are exactly the same. What are those contents? Uh, if you wanted to summarize all of Lord Buddha's teachings into categories, you could do so by dividing them into three specific categories. These are called the teachings shared in common with beings of small, uh, I'm sorry, the teachings for beings of three capacities. Uh, so if you were to take everything the Buddha ever taught, you could find it in one of these categories. So the teachings for beings of three capacities. So uh, the first category of teaching is called the teachings shared in common with beings of small capacity. These are teachings for beings who wish to just achieve rebirth in the higher realms of cyclic existence in their next lives, into the gods and humans realms. So this practitioner engages in going for refuge to the three jewels, engaging in ethics that abandons the ten non-virtuous activities and then acknowledges one's uh, downfalls or confesses one's negativities if, if he or she engaged in any among those ten negativities that they're abstain trying to abstain from. And in dependence upon these practices of going for refuge and, and engaging in ethical behavior, one is able to uh, achieve this rebirth in the higher realms. And these are called teachings shared in common with beings of small capacity. The next category is called the teachings shared in common with beings of medium capacity. And these teachings are for beings who wish to achieve complete nirvana, their own individual liberation. Uh, not a complete Buddhahood for, for others, just for their own sake. So this type of practitioner engages in what's called the three highest higher trainings. The highest higher training in ethics, highest higher training in concentration, and the highest higher training in wisdom. And in dependence upon these three highest higher trainings, and also inferred 
the previous teachings within the small capacity, this practitioner is able to achieve complete nirvana or liberation. And then the last category of teachings is called the teachings for beings of great capacity. And these teachings are for beings who wish to achieve complete Buddhahood for the sake of all sentient beings. So this practitioner engages in all the practices mentioned and then couples them with the generation of the mind that aspires to enlightenment or bodhicitta and then from that generation he or she is a bodhisattva and engages in the six perfections. Uh, so and in dependence upon those practices, this practitioner is able to achieve Buddhahood. Uh, so Atisha and then Lama Tsongkhapa were able to put the teachings into an order which showed a practitioner how to go from the entrance to Buddhist teachings, the very beginning to complete Buddhahood in a graduated fashion. Whereas before, you, had, you have the Kangjur and the Tanjur, which are the pronouncements of Lord Buddha and the authentic Indian commentaries, which are very uh, difficult to really get the meaning of. And once you do, you have to try to put them in an order to practice. Atisha and then Lama Tsongkhapa made it very uh, easy to practice and made it um, so that one understood what the first practice was, what the second practice was, and why they depended upon each other. So it's considered that these texts are considered the summary of the Kangjur and Tanjur, uh, which are the um, pronouncements of Lord Buddha, which are around a hundred texts you have, we have here, and the authentic Indian commentaries, which are 213. Uh, so I had asked Rinpoche before, he said to include some of the history. You saw him talk very short. I'm talking a lot longer, but he said to include that, uh, so I did. Deson Rinpoche. So, um, so uh, Nagarjuna presented the middle way philo philosophy. Um, and the middle way philosophy, and specifically with Nagarjuna, the middle way consequence school philosophy, is as follows. The establishment that all phenomena are empty because they dependently originate. Because all phenomena are dependent or interdependent, dependently originate, they are necessarily not inherently existent. They are not truly established. Therefore, they are empty. Um, so Nagarjuna presented this uh, middle way philosophy, and that's what we're going to get into now, um, the, the history of commentary on Nagarjuna's intended meaning. Deesung Rameche. Shinji Oma <laughs> 
Zenola, Zenola, Shudzebe, Omabaje, Tanejedo, Tanejedo, Tula, Narobe, Narobe, Gijini, Katinare, Tane, Tane, Juzugune, Tane, Juzugune, Mietabe, Omabanide, Tane, Do, Shiri, 是要不然的人都得是不是要不然的人都得是不是要不然的人都得是不是要不然的人都得是不是要不然的人都得是不是要不然的人都得是不是要不然的人都得是不是要不然的人都得是不是要不然的人都得是不是要不然的人都得是不
Okay, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page, literally. Uh, okay, um, the history of commentary on Nagarjuna's intended meaning. Nagarjuna gave flawless commentary on scripture, e.g. the perfection of wisdom sutras that teach that all phenomena, and this is what Rinpoche was just explaining, uh, that teach that all phenomena are without any intrinsically existent production, cessation, and so forth. What is the history of the commentary on Nagarjuna's thought? Both the father, Nagarjuna, and his spiritual son, Aryadeva, are sources for the other Madhyamakas, even great Madhyamakas such as the masters Buddha-Palita, Bhava-Vega, Chandrakirti, and Chandrarashita took Aryadeva to be an authoritative as, as authoritative as the master Nagarjuna. Therefore, o earlier scho uh, Tibetan scholars used the term Madhyamikas of the fundamental text for the two and the term partisan Madhy Madhyamikas for the others. In the past, there were some Tibetan teachers who said that when Madhyamikas are described in terms of how they posit conventionalities. There are two types. Sautrantika Madhyamikas, who assert that external objects exist conventionally, and Yogacara Madhyamikas, Madhyamikas, who assert that external objects do not exist conventionally. So when we divide uh, Madhyamika into categories, we can divide it into two major headings. Uh, uh, Madhyamika um, 
in English, the middle way consequence school and the middle way autonomy school. So those are the two major headings. The middle way autonomy school has two, Rinpoche stopped and explained this. The middle way autonomy school has two divisions. Uh, the two divisions are the um, uh, Sautrantika Madhyamaka, um, so that's an um, autonomy school, but a division of it. And the Sautrantika Madhyamaka leans towards the uh, Sutra school. So if we look at, um, and just as a translator's note, there are four major tenet systems. The Great Exposition System, the, the, the Sutra school, the Mind-Only school, and the Middle Way school. So we're just talking about the highest school in its divisions and saying that the highest school has two divisions. The lower division among the two is called the autonomy school, and it, it has two divisions. And those two divisions, one of them tends towards the sutra school philosophy, and that's the Sautrantika Madhyamaka. And then the other leans towards the mind-only school philosophy, and that's the uh, Yogacara uh, Madhyamaka. Um, so uh, these are the way that you divide the two. We can find the English um, for... Um, I'm not, I can't remember what the Sanskrit... Rimche, the Ranjupa Sandrake Gare. The Umi Tenjo Madhyamika Prasangika. The Uma Ranjupa Sandrake Chiran Shingdue. I was asking Rimche, he wouldn't have any reason to know the Sanskrit. We just study it like that, but I was curious if he knew the Sanskrit. So anyway, there's, a, an auto there's the middle way consequence school, middle way autonomy school. Consequence school is its school, own school. There's not divisions or anything. The middle way autonomy school has two divisions. One is similar to the, the sutra school. The other one is similar to the mind-only school. Um, they have leanings in those directions. Um, so then this will go on to say that is that even necessary? Uh, scholars debate whether those really divisions are needed, um, but those, that's scholar talk. <laughs> um, where did I leave off? Somebody, uh, it was where this, oh, right here. In the past, there were some Tibetan masters who said that when Madhyamakas are described in terms of how they posit conventionalities, there are two types. Sautrantika Madhyamaka, who assert that external objects exist conventionally, and Yogacara Madhyamaka, who assert that external objects uh, do not exist conventionally. Um, uh, mad madhyamakas are also of two types when described in terms of how they assert the ultimate. The proponents of rationally established illusion assert that a composite of appearance and emptiness is an ultimate truth, and the proponents, proponents of thorough non-abiding assert that the mere eliminations of elaborations with regard to appearances is an ultimate truth. These earlier teachers asserted that within the second typology, the first type includes masters such as Chandra Shita and Kamala Shila. There are also some Indian masters who use the terms illusion-like and thoroughly non-abiding to refer to different types of Madhyamakas. So it's just showing that there's a lot of different designations that teachers have given over the years for the various schools and their and what they assert. Um, broadly speaking, there were some Indian and Tibetan masters who claimed to be Madhyamakas uh, uh, who use this kind of terminology for dividing uh, 
uh, Madhyamakas. However, here I am to establish only the systems of the great Madhyamakas who are followers of the Master Nagarjuna, who explain very who explain every subtle distinction. Moreover, the great translator, Loden Sherup, makes an excellent point when he says that this presentation of two types of Madhyamakas, distinguished according to how they assert the ultimate, is simply something to impress fools. <laughs> For those who make such a distinction seem to be claiming that... For proponents of rationally established illusion, sh such as Chandrashita and Kamala Shila, the mere object that is understood by an inferential reasoning consciousness is an ultimate truth, whereas both Chandrashita's ornament of the middle way and Kamala Shila's illumination of the middle way say that the object understood by a reasoning consciousness as designated ultimate due to its being concordant with an ultimate truth. Just as a translator's note, now here you can see how important a lexicon is for us in the English tradition. So in the Tibetan tradition, you see they've memorized what these terms mean, defined them, and then put them into an outline. So their minds work in a way where they're reading this and it all just makes sense. It doesn't sound like jargon of just a bumble of words that don't really have any deep meaning. The, they ha yeah, every one of these words, they could do what's called a word commentary on and explain that word down to its etymology, the reason that word was, was used there, and why other words weren't chosen at that point. So it really takes a complete scholar to be able to understand these words. The point I'm making is it really takes a complete scholar with a Geshe degree who's studied the five great tenets and then has it available in the language that they've studied those to understand this. Without the texts that support what this means in English, we really aren't going to be able to delve into what the full meaning of some of this is just because we're limited with language and we're limited with um, masters in our English-speaking tradition that have achieved Geshe degrees. Um, so we're just not there yet to be able to um, really just read this, that where we have people in English that could read this fluently and know what every one of these terms means and what the implications of those terms are. And we can't even get translators to agree on terms, terms to use. So you could read another book and they'll use totally different words so it won't mean anything to us as Eng English-speaking participants because they're just words. We need to know what those words mean. So that's why it's important, I feel, to pick a school and then kind of find the translators within that school and stick to it, then it's less confusing because you'll know what their terms mean and what they're referring to every single time. And you won't be, well, does that mean that or does that mean this? So that's what I found to be helpful. After studying Tibetan and having gone to the monastery and debated and seen how they literally have their own language for Buddhism. A Tibetan speaker couldn't just read a, t a book on Buddhism if they hadn't studied Buddhism before and, know, and be able to read it and know what the vocabulary means at all. The words that were f common to them mean totally different things in the context of Buddhism. So that's why it's important to have a fully, a thorough education in order to understand something like this. Um, so if you're reading it just as I am and just being like, these are just words flowing at me, at this point, there's not a lot of meaning. I've been studying for almost 30 years, and that's what's happening to me right now. So I don't want anyone in the room to just, if it's your first time or something, we're in like the most difficult part of Buddhism right here. And these words really have a lot of meaning. They aren't just silly words 
bombastic words for the sake of people to sound smart, they really do mean something, but without a full formal education, there's no way we could really understand them completely. And that's why so many people write books that are wrong, uh, because it's so easy to misunderstand. Um, where was I before I um, just ex As also the great, uh, other great Madhyamakas do not accept as an ultimate tr truth the mere object that is arrived at when reason eliminates elaborations with regard to an appearance. Therefore, this division is not a good approach. Okay, Dixon Rinpoche. Nay, the last song, Gangisana may sarpa mambo yure, the sheda kali kapu du, the geshe, then butishunga, lobjung mashena, the tsik kashe machin tugumare, digsung, the semte maje. Nay, last song. Gangisana, the geshe, the kali kapu du. Okay, I was telling Rimache with the speech that I just gave. Okay, digsung. Oh, no, lobo da da. Wena, lopun, lobo da da. Jesundonyana,爸爸也是一个,我们去,你好呢,呃,就是我们,我们的话,比,路了,就是吧,那,呃,Jesundonyana,Jesundonyana,那,那,那,那,那,那,那,那,那,那,那,那,那,那,那,
ਮਾਲੂ ਬਾਰਾ ਕੀ ਨਵਾ ਨਵਾ ਦੋ ਬੰਨੇ ਦੋ ਦੋ ਬੰਨੇ ਕੋਨ ਕੋਨ ਜੀ ਤਵਾਜੇ ਇਹ ਜੀ ਤੇ ਦਰ ਨਵਾ ਦੋਬਾ ਸ਼ੇਲਾ ਤੇ ਤੇ ਦਰ ਨਵਾ ਦੋਬਾ ਨਾ ਕੋਨ ਜੀ ਤੂ ਕੋਨ ਜੀ ਤੂ ਜਿਸੂ ਲਤਾ ਯੂ ਤਵਾਜੇ ਕੈਂਦੋ ਤੋਂ ਜਿੰਦਾ ਨੇ ਜਿਸੂ ਲਤਾਵਾ ਤੇ ਮੇਬਾਈ ਮੇ ਤੋਂ ਤੋਂ ਦਾ ਮਾਈਬਾ ਤੋਂ ਦਾ ਮਾਮੀ ਬੇ ਜਿਸੂ ਤਵਾ ਉਹੀ ਤੇ ਬੋਂ ਬੇ ਨਿਮੋ ਬਦਨ ਚੇ ਮਾਲੂਬਾ ਤੋਂ ਇਹ ਕਾਜੀ ਦਾ ਦੋਨ ਜਿੰਬੀ ਇਹ ਦਾ ਜੇ ਜਵੰਦਨ ਜੇ 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 ਸਵਾਤੇ ਕੋਨਾ ਨੀ ਨਾ ਦੋਬਾ ਸ਼ੇ ਦੋ ਸ਼ੇ ਜੋ ਜੋ ਸ਼ੇ ਦਾ ਸੈਲਪੋਦੂਰ ਮਚੇ ਯਾ ਸ਼ੇ ਦਾ ਸੈਲਪੋਦੂ ਯਾ ਓਕੇ ਅਮ ਡੈਟਸ ਗੋ I swear I looked under there like 6 times. All right. All right, let's do this. All right. Um As to the history of the commentary on Nagarjuna's thought, the master Yeshe Day explains that the masters, the noble Nagarjuna and his spiritual th- son Arya Deva did not make clear in their Madhyamaka treatises whether external objects exist. Later the master Baba Vega refuted the system of Vijna Vijna Timatra and presented a system in which external objects exist conventionally. Then Master Shandarashita set forth a different Madhyamaka system that teaches based on Yogacara texts the external objects do not exist conventionally. It also teaches that the mind ultimately lacks exist intrinsic existence. Thus two forms of Madhyamaka arose. The former is called Satrantika Madhyamaka and the latter uh Yogacara Madhyamaka. And just going back if we for the all the san- full sanskrit um if major heading is madhyamaka divisions of madhyamaka are madhyamaka prasangika which is the highest school and madhyamaka svatantrika which is the lower of the madhyamakas it's fa s v svatantrika then the madhya madhyamaka svatantrika has two divisions the uh madhyam Madhyamaka Svatantrika Sautrantika and the Madhyamaka uh, Svatantrika Yogacara. So those are the, how you would look at the Sanskrit divisions. To just try and put it into some outline where we have all the words. Um, so those are the, the major divisions. So Madhyamaka, two divisions. Uh, the second division has two divisions as well. It is evident that the this sequence of events as explained by Yeshe Day is correct however while the master chandrakirti does assert that external objects exist conventionally he does not do so in a manner congruent with the claims of other tenet systems thus it is unsuitable to call him a sautrantika madhyam madhyamaka similarly the claim that he is in accord with the vabashikas is also very unreasonable 
there are some commonalities as a translator's note. So look into that. There's a reason why that is presented. Scholars of the later dissemination of Buddhist teachings to the snowy land of Tibet use the terms prasangika and svatantrika uh, for different types of madhyamikas. Since this agrees with Chandrakirti's clear words, you should not suppose that it is their own fabrication. Therefore, all madhyamikas are included within two types, those who do and those who do not assert external objects in conventional terms. If they are distinguished in terms of how they develop within their mind streams, the view that is certain knowledge of emptiness, the ultimate, then again, they are all included within two types, prasangikas and svatantrikas. Uh, those are the two main divisions. Um, following whom did those masters seek to understand that the noble Nagarjuna and his spiritual son Aryadeva intended? The great elder Atisha considered the system of the master Chandrakirti to be the main Madhyamaka system. Seeing this, the great gurus of the past who followed Atisha in giving personal instructions on these stages of the path also took Chandrakirti's system as the main system. The master Chandrakirti saw that among the commentaries on Nagarjuna's fundamental treatise on the middle way, it was the master Buddhapalita who had fully elucidated that the noble, what the noble uh, Nagarjuna intended. So he commented on the noble Nagarjuna's intended meaning using his system as a basis. He also took many good explanations from the master Baba Vega while refuting those that seemed a little inaccurate. Inasmuch as the commentaries of master Buddha Palita and the glorious Chandrakirti are seen to be excellent explanations of the texts of the noble Nagarjuna and his spiritual son. Aryadeva, I will, Aryadeva, I will follow them in making determinations about what the noble Nagarjuna intended. So he Lama Tsongkhapa uses Aryadeva Chandrakirti's Buddhapalita's system of explaining the Madhyamaka uh, to Nagarjuna, obviously. Uh, the stages of entry into reality. How to determine the philosophical view of emptiness is two parts. Stages of entry into reality, the actual determination of reality. Uh, the stages of entry into reality question. Nirvana is the reality one seeks to attain, but what is nirvana? If entry into reality means a method for attaining it, then how do you enter? The reality that you seek to attain, the embodiment of truth, is the total extinction of conceptions of both the self and that which belongs to the self, specifically by stopping all the various internal and external phenomena from appearing as though they were reality itself, which they are not, along with the latent predispositions for such false appearances. The stages by which you enter that reality are as follows. First, having contemplated in dismay the faults and disadvantages of cyclic existence, you should develop a wish to be done with it. Then understanding that you will not overcome it unless you overcome its cause, you research its roots. Considering what might be the root of cause of cyclic existence, you will thereby become certain from the depths of your heart that the reifying view of the perishing aggregates or ignorance acts as the root of cyclic existence. You then need to develop a sincere wish to eliminate that. So eliminating the mistaken view that grasps at things as being truly established, grasps at the I as being inherently existent, as mine being inherently existent without any interdependent play, that they are reality itself without any, um, uh, that they are reality itself. 
Next, see that the overcoming the reifying view of the perishing aggregates depending depends upon developing the wisdom that knows that the self, as thus conceived, does not exist. You will then see that you have to refute that self. Be certain in that refutation, relying upon scriptures and lines of reasoning that contradict its existence and prove its non-existence. This is an indispensable technique for anyone who seeks liberation. After you have thus arrived at the philosophical view that discerns that the self and that which belongs to the self lack even a shred of intrinsic nature, you should accustom yourself to that. This will lead to the attainment of the embodiment of truth. Chandrakirti's clear words says, Question, you say that all these afflictions, karma, bodies, agents, and effects are not reality. Still, though they are not reality, they appear to the childish in the guise of reality, like a phantom city and so forth. If this is so, then what is reality and how do you enter that reality? Reality is the total extinction of the conceptions of both the self, that which belongs to the self in regard to the internal and external, this being a result of the non-apprehension of external, internal and external things. As for the entry into reality, look into the commentary on the middle way, the Madhyamika, Avatara, which says, In their minds, yogis perceive that all afflictions and all faults arise from the reifying view of the perishing aggregates, and knowing that the self is the object of that view, they refute that self. Chandrakirti's clear words also says, Yogis who wish to enter... Yogis who wish to enter reality and who wish to eliminate all afflictions and faults examine the question, What does this cyclic existence has as its root? When they thoroughly investigate this, they see that cyclic existence has at its root the reifying view of the perishing aggregates, and they see that the self is the object observed by the reifying view of the perishing aggregates. They see that not observing the self leads to eliminating the reifying view of the perishing aggregates, and that through eliminating that, all afflictions and faults are overcome. Hence, at the very beginning, they examine only the self asking, what is the self? that is the object of the conception of self. Wait one second. Rimache, Chiran de Chu Chen Soso? Chiran Kabalevson. Chu Chen Soso. That Levson? Okay, that's cool. Yeah, that's it. Dixon. That's more than a true. Okay, the <laughs> So when we divide selflessness, uh, we can divide it into two categories, um, selflessness of person and selflessness of phenomena. Um, so what does selflessness of person mean? Um, so here it's referring to the I. Um, here, uh, the mistaken view is that the I is truly existent. The I has some inherent self. Um, the, the correct view is that the I is merely a designation that is placed on an appropriate basis of designation. So a collection that comes together then serves as an appropriate basis of designation for the name I. But there's no I that's separate from this collection of aggregates and so forth that come together that, and then are named. Um, so there's not this external, inherently existent I 
that is there. Um, so uh, that is the first division of selflessness, selflessness of person. Um, selflessness of phenomena refers to the selflessness of anything that is not person. Um, so, uh, um, so, so any phenomena that is not person is not truly established because it's merely a collection of things that come together to serve as a basis of designated and then basis of designation to be named as this or that. But there is no this or that that's separate from that collection coming together that serves as a basis of designation. So those, that collection of parts then is named as this or that and, and that this or that phenomena are not truly established because they come into being in that fashion. So two divisions of selflessness, selflessness of person, selflessness of phenomena. That's more true than Lenja. Chiran Sanlo Garibe.
here, where Scripture sets forth many arguments refuting the intrinsic existence of a limitless number of individual things. However, when yogis initially engage in practice, they meditate in an abridged way, determining that both the self and that which belongs to the self lack intrinsic nature. The Master Buddha Palita says that this is the meaning of the 18th chapter of Nagarjuna's fundamental treatise. The Master Chandrakirti bases his own commentary on this statement by Buddha Palita. Also, the teachings on the self of persons in Chandrakirti's commentary on the middle way are just extended explanations of the 18th chapter of Nagarjuna's fundamental treatise. Uh, that's the Mulya Madhyamika Karika, by the way. Kwam, are you not teaching how to enter the reality of the Mahayana? In that case, the reality that one seeks to attain cannot be the mere extinction of conceptions of both self and that which belongs to it. Also, since a simple determination that both the self and that which belongs to it lack intrinsic nature does not entail a determination that lacks it is distinct from persons, lacks self, it is wrong to posit it as the path for entering into reality. Reply, there is no problem here. Uh, for there are two types of total extinction of the conceptions of both the self and that which belongs to it. Even Hinayanas may have the first type, the utter elimination of the afflictions, so that those afflictions will never occur. However, the second is a Buddha's embodiment of truth. It is the elimination through utter non-apprehension of all signs which are elaborations of external and internal phenomena. Also, when you know that the self does not exist intrinsically, you also overcome the conception that the aggregates which are its components exist intrinsically. Just as when a chariot is burned, the wheels and such are its parts. Are, uh, the wheels and such that are its parts are also burned. Chandrakirti's clear words says, "The self is imputed dependently. It is what those who have the error of ignorance cling to fiercely. It is regarded as the appropriator of the five aggregates. Those who seek liberation analyze whether this self has the character of the aggregates. When those who seek liberation have analyzed it in every way, they do not observe a self, and thus not." Nagarjuna's fundamental treatise uh, says, if the self does not exist, how could that which belongs to the self exist? Because they do not observe the self, they also do not at all observe the aggregate which belongs to the self, the basis on which the self is designated. When a chariot is burned, its parts also, parts also are burned and thus not observed. Similarly, when yogis know that the self does not exist, they will know that what belongs to the self, the things that are the aggregates, are also devoid of self. Thus Chandrakirti says that when you know that the self lacks intrinsic nature, you also know that the self's aggregates lack self. That is to say, they lack intrinsic nature. Also, Chandrakirti's explanation of the Middle Way commentary uh, says, Shravakas and Prachika Buddhas following Hinayana tenets are inaccurate because they apprehend an essence in things such as form. Therefore, they do not know even the selflessness of persons. This is because they hold conceptions of the aggregates, the basis that is designated as the self. Nagarjuna's precious garland, the Ratnavali, says, as long as you conceive of the aggregates, you will conceive of them as I. Thus, he says, if you do not know that the aggregates lack intrinsic nature, you do not know the selflessness of the person. Quam. If the same awareness that knows the person lacks intrinsic existence, also knows that the aggregates lack intrinsic existence, 
then there is a fallacy. The two awarenesses that know the two types of selflessness would be the same. However, since objects and persons are distinct, the awareness that know that they lack intrinsic existence are also distinct, as in the case of the awareness that know the impermanence of a pot and that of a pillar. If the awareness that knows that the person lacks intrinsic existence does not know that the aggregates lack intrinsic existence, how can Chandrakirti claim that one will know the aggregates lack intrinsic existence when one knows the selflessness of the person? Reply, since we do not assert this, I will answer your final question. The awareness that knows that the person lacks intrinsic existence does not think. The aggregates do not intrinsically exist. However, without relying on anything else, the very awareness can induce certain knowledge that the aggregates lack intrinsic existence, thereby eliminating the reification of intrinsic existence that has been superimposed upon the aggregates. Therefore, Chandrakirti says that you know that the person lacks intrinsic existence. You also know that the aggregates lack intrinsic existence. Also, Buddha Palita's commentary on the fundamental treatise says, what the so-called self possesses is called that which belongs to the self. That self does not exist. If it doesn't exist, how can it be right to speak, speak of that which belongs to it? All right. So, we will end there. Whew! That's a mouthful and an earful. And uh, I think that's why I kept wondering where we went because I was reading the English with Rinpoche, so I felt like I was rereading certain stuff. So if I did, I did. But uh, we can all use it, I'm sure. Not going to hurt. Read it 500 times and I don't get it still. Questions? And please, what I already said about the lexicon and the terms, just within the scope of what I'll be able to do today, sitting here live without resources. Like the illusionist, I've never even heard of that. I wouldn't even know. <laughs> we got questions. It can be about anything, about Buddhism, anything you want to. All right. Then, uh, it's, the Sraphakas and pra, uh, Pratika Buddhas, they can have the uh, Prasanka view. That's this last statement said it didn't. The Rimache. The, um, so the hearers and solitary realizers, can they have the Prasangika view? Then Yen Tu Dang Rang Jel. Umi Ten Jor Dawa Yuken Yurebe. Yes. Yes. They're definitely holders. And they can't become arhats unless they hold that view. But according to that last statement. No, I'm saying that unless uh, a hearer and a solitary realizer hold the view of the Madhyamika Prasangika, they can't become even arhats within their school, according to Madhyamika Prasangika. It says everybody eventually realizes that view to become an arhat of any form. So I just wonder if we could just go back to last week's question again a little bit about um, uh, this concept of having to be taught uh, selflessness in order to understand that reality. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was thinking about this in terms of kind of the conventional and ultimate truths and maybe you can help to explain or Rinpoche can explain kind of where my flaw and my reasoning is. Um, that when we think about things like the statement about um, mango tree, mango tree, mango tree, um, you know, is that kind of expressed as an ultimate truth? Because in a conventional reality, we know that evolution would posit that's not the case, that mango tree came from something else. There is no mango tree, mango tree, mango tree. And so I would think likewise, there would be no Buddha, 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 
um, in that sense that everything had to have evolved from other things. Um, and so how could there be an original, you know, unless you're positing an intrinsic Buddha nature, which we're not, you know, positing anything intrinsically, um, it had to have evolved from other things. And that at some point, someone came to that realization where they could articulate that selflessness. Mm -hmm. um, so I was just wondering, you know, where Rinpoche kind of would say the flaw in that. Is that a, you know, a misconception of mine on conventional versus ultimate truth? Or, you know, like how does that meld over with science and what we know it. about the evolution? That's it. Um, your, uh, I'm going to ask Rinpoche, but just remember that his scientific, quote unquote, background is this. So this is their truth. We have evolution. Some people believe it, some people don't. You believe it, that's your truth. But you're asking two different, you know what I mean? You're, you're taking a view that does, they're just different views. It's not saying that science isn't right, and not saying that, it's just, I'm just saying they're two different views. Because Buddhism wouldn't say that it's possible that mango tree came from something that wasn't mango tree. Buddhism would say that from another, from Jupiter, some seeds from a mango tree blew here. Right, but so... You know what I mean? And so you I would guess, have beginningless Right, so part mango of that tree. question is, you know, even the Dalai Lama now is taking, you know, certain things out of the teachings and saying, we know them now to not be true based on what we know in science and really kind of pushing that agenda to, mm -hmm. because you get to keep reading on further in this section, it's all about this logic and reasoning and, you know, understanding conventional and ultimate reality. And they really push that as we keep reading further in this, this section, that that's the basis for reality for an individual liberation, right, is to really understand this through our own logic and reasoning, not just because someone's, you know, like we right, have to no. understand it ourselves. I don't think it's logical to think it could come from something other than. I think that's where illogical starts, to think that consciousness could come from something other than consciousness. I think that's illogical. But hold on. Rinpoche, Ditsenripa, the Ngatsu the Tem Mambo, the Mango Shin, Giju, the Ngami 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 Mango Shin, Ditsenripa, Kelen, the Jujenda Mangoshin Gutsusun. Jujenda. The the Tsenripa Kelen the um Tumoa Gugumare. The Tsenripa. Tsenripa the mango tree Nama 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 Jukakare Zusun. Jujenda. Mango Sopun Yomare. The Sopungi Ju the Mambo Yure. Yine the mango yomare. The sopun the ju mambo yure. Yine the sopun dakpar mango sopun yomare. Ngama ngama duk duk dangdraj. Then the dakpar the the tsenripa kelen the ngama the ngatsu biu. Then biu ngama ngatsu nya. Then ngama the ngatsu de. Then then konsu the the tmo kelengamare. Kakare. The Kelen Kak Senripa Dang Nampi Nampa Kelen Kakare. The 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 Nampa Kelen the Mango Shin Ju Nami Mango Shin Nama 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 Tumoa the Tumo Mayimba the the Tambo Yomare the Senripa Kelen the Yomare the Ju Kakare the Lepsung. Nampa Kelen Chikshena the 
the Jikten, the Jikten, uh, the Chikshena, the Tandang Atsu, the Zambaling, Zambaling Jenda, Chikshena, Sopun, Long Kerson, Atsu Nampa, the Mango Sheen, Sopun, Kabane, the the Nampa Kelan, Chikshena, the Zambaling, the Sacha Jenda, the Long Kerson. The Abid, the Zu Yere. Then it's then it's Cheron Salogar, you bet. So what does okay? So we're going to look at a specific um, uh, example. What are the, what does the scientist say causes the mango tree that isn't the mango tree seed? So it would say that. Um, kind of like dependent origination, that you could go back in time that there were single-celled organisms on this planet that evolved into multicellular organisms that kept going through this kind of process of you know, diversification based on the cause and conditions, you know, that wouldn't be the words they would use, but on the, the environmental conditions that favored certain traits to be perpetuated. And so as that evolved... From one? From, from one single cell? Well, from one type of organism initially, basically, yeah, that there were single-celled organisms on this planet that were not mango tree essence, that as, caused, as the environment changed, and they adapted and grew into different species that were specifically suited for that environment. And that environment continues to change, so they continue to adapt and evolve. Rinpoche is positing that mango trees causes were always mango trees causes, and you're saying that's not the case. And I'm telling him that, and he thinks it's preposterous, and you think that, that there's one single cell that turned into everything we see. He, you know what I mean? Like, and he thinks that's preposterous. You think this is preposterous. So I'm, I'm not... But you know what I'm trying to say. Like, when I say to him that everything you see here came from this one thing, unless that one thing had everything we see here within it, maybe Buddhism could be okay with that. If that one thing somehow had everything in it, but it wouldn't be able to create consciousness. It wouldn't. Buddhism states that I'm here, and in a previous life I was in hell. In a previous life I was a hungry ghost. In a previous life to that I was an ant. In a previous life to that I was all of these different things. So Buddhism would never say that I evolved into a human from a monkey, from a single cell through the ocean, and I crawled out. I know what you're saying. Yeah. I, well, that's what I was wondering about. Buddhism wouldn't say that's accurate. Buddhism would say that that's just not that's not accurate. That's what I was asking. Was it a question of you know conventional versus ultimate truth? Like you know, like on a conventional level, we know that evolution occurred, that people did evolve from this, that there was no genetic map, you know, blueprint of a human four billion years ago when the Earth was just coming into existence. But could but there have been humans on other planets? No, there was no other planets. Thirteen eight point eight billion what years ago, mean? there were no other okay. planets. It was a singularity. So if you're talking about from that singularity, is that the essence that? you're saying has continued throughout all of this time? Like you could posit that, that it's just energy or whatever was that singularity? Buddhism doesn't have a first Big Bang like that. Dalai well, Lama was asked about that very thing, that first explosion. 
and he said Buddhism would be okay with um, multiple explosions that took place beginninglessly, but Buddhism wouldn't be okay with the first explosion that created all of this. Buddhism would have to say that there was a previous explosion and a previous explosion, right. and then maybe that uh, this this race got wiped out right. and everybody became Martians. Right. And then all of a sudden, all the Martians, like somehow, they're one two came here and it was Adam and Eve maybe Martians right. like but, you know what I mean but There's science a lot wouldn't, of wouldn't say that that's necessarily wrong though because they don't know what was before the Big Bang and Hawking's other people would say that's that was also a transitional phase that there's you know because nothing something yeah. can't come from nothing, nothing correct yeah and Buddhism says that causes and results are concordant you have to have milk and chocolate to get chocolate milk. You yep. can't put milk in water and get chocolate milk. You can't put a human and a dog together and have a human baby. You have to put a human yep. and a human together. So there are certain things that cause specific things, and they won't cause other things ever. So but, Buddhism just takes it with that and runs with it right. and says that based on logic, you have to only assert which makes sense. And as soon as you get into something that's not tenable, then it, you have to stop. Even though you have theory, you have all these other things, you have to stop if it's not tenable logically. Because you, you can't say that this moment came from a previous moment, this consciousness. Where does this, this consciousness that's happening come from? came from a previous moment, which came from a previous moment. And I'm going to get to the point where I'm in a womb, and there's got to be a consciousness that made this consciousness. If it's an external consciousness, then I know everything it knows. And then if it's my consciousness, it's got to be a continuous stream. So Buddhism says it's a continuous stream because it's illogical to say that something outside of us gave us consciousness because we would know everything that that thing knows and everyone would all know the same thing because we would have its consciousness, because consciousness causes consciousness. So either we were given consciousness from someone, or it's a continuous stream of ours. But so I guess that's still a little separate from the physicality of that previous statement, like the mango tree, mango tree, mango tree, and Buddha, 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 that those things, you know, like the mango tree did evolve from something else. There is, there, you know, like at least in theory, there was no seed that was before the Big Bang that kind of came through. Buddhism the big, you know, says there was, though. Yeah. I'm trying to say that Buddhism says that before you have all of this time stuff and like writing it down and what we can, our instruments can yeah. figure out, Buddhism says this was all going on before. Yeah, but then and you're almost it was talking going like on a, in other places. I know, but then you're almost talking like a circle for the same thing to have occurred again. Like you're not saying, you know, eternity is a circular pattern where we're re going through the same process over and over, the exact same one where a mango tree is going to come back cyclic as existence. a mango. Yeah, cyclic doesn't That's mean what it's called. but that doesn't mean that it's a, it's kind of a you're almost saying predetermined then that you know that it's going to cycle the same way, which isn't what they're yeah, positing. Yeah, it is. It's going to no, cycle however your karmic seeds present the experience. It that time no unless you're saying it's an intrinsic cycle which it's not it's you can't that's an intrinsic existence then it's it has to evolve as it evolves each time uniquely it's just as how the cause and conditions led up to that next moment right but it's not unique it's unique because it's causes and conditions were different at that moment that put it together but it's still just dependently originated based on those whatever was was there for it to experience it. I guess I just don't see how a mango tree could go on 
in infinity backwards without having intrinsic existence. Because if it's evolving, which is dependent origination, it, I don't see how it could have intrinsic existence going back, you know, forever without having dependently originated. Like that's the, you know, again, that expects the conventional ultimate. But that's the line true between thing. true existence and emptiness. That's the difficult part is to find that place where it exists, but it dependently originates and it doesn't truly exist. That's that line where you're always trying to jump back and forth because you go too far and then it doesn't exist or you don't take enough and you have some kind of intrinsic existence. So uh, going, going back to what science believes, I don't think it's like not concordant per se, but I think that it could be explained differently and maybe I, I think that Buddhism could... If you took Buddhism's theory, which I'm not a scholar of, so I'm not going to even pretend, especially of the Abhidharma and which parts of it are funny and which parts aren't, but I think there is definitely a way to marry the two and make the two kind of explain each other without there being a major discrepancy. But it really requires having an intense understanding of what Buddhism presents and then what the science presents and then figuring out how you could bridge that. You know, that because um, the Rinpoche, the, the sci science truchar yure, and truchar the mambo hakogudu, and konso the, the konso truchar the, the ngama, 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 the fossil yure, fossil, puik, the ngama, the Nama the Nama the Yuna the rock the do the sir then the yure the low mumbo the yure then the Nama 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 sopun sen ripa yure like low boom Nama sopun pakcha sopun pakcha danjar the the do the yure the boom konso the boom ju hakogudu Lo gatsi yure hakogudu. Then konsu kelen dan nampa kelen sheda kakare. The konsu tsampa the judan depo tumo sheda gugumare. Data gugumare. Gangin sena the mango sopun. Tambo. Yutugare. Gangin sena the dendel. Dendel, the mambo nyamdu, then the sopun mingda. Yene, the ngama sopun yomare. Sapun. Yeah, he just said, if you don't have a seed, how do you have the result of a tree? He just, just he, in Buddhism, it's just so set in stone that cause and result are concordant. And if it just sets off like a red flame when you say something that doesn't make sense logically within that framework of cause and effect because it has to say that then there's something outside of that at work. Um, I'd have to understand it myself, I think, completely. Um, I'd like to, to understand evolution, like not in the way that we studied in school, like the deeper, deeper meaning of it and understanding of how it, it all worked. Young, the new part, the 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 do, do, 
Mekon mango sopun nupi nangla yere nupa. Dene the nupa yere judan chen lena dene sopun zusun the nupa. The jakar dawa dandar the the sopun nangla the depo kanga yere. ヨンドカンダジュンテヨンデコンツセグドメンゴソプンサンデガマメンゴソプンヨマレデネジュダンチェンメンゴソプンズソンデネメンゴトリレソンイネガマガマガマガマガマガマガマガマメンゴトリ
were very kind of stark, like it's only this way. It had to be Buddha, 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 you know, like the teaching had to be this way, which seems discordant with the, in the same way that the mango, mango, mango seems discordant. Maybe there's an explanation that Rinpoche can give that shows that that's more about an ultimate truth than a conventional truth. And that's why I didn't know if that's where the disconnect was. No, that's just the truth. Yeah, that's, that's the truth just, to him. Yeah. Yeah. And then maybe like one more. No, I, this, this is just a, on the same same vein. I, I'm trying to trying to find a way to focus to focus the question. Uh, now, the example that popped into my head is uh, the example of a mule, uh, where uh, the only way to get a mule is uh, through the causes and conditions of. Uh, I think it's a mule, uh, and you mix a horse and a donkey together. The mule uh, uh, is is a one shot deal. It can't reproduce. Right. So I mean, it, it, that's definitely not mango tree, mango tree, mango tree. That's that's uh, horse, uh, donkey, mule. Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess w still um, cause and effect. Yeah. And the effect is a mule that can't reproduce. The second you, said <laughs> you know what I mean is a sterile thing. <laughs> So you need these two to get one, and you can't get one from the next one because it's sterile. The second you said that if it doesn't mess with cause and effect, they don't have any problem with it, I was ready to withdraw the question. <laughs> but I got handed the mic anyway. <laughs> you just have to be careful that you don't... The reason that Buddhism is so firm on this is that the creator-God notion, um, that as soon as you say that you know, cause something can come from something different... Um, then it's magic and then a creator-god theory makes some kind of sense. Whereas, logically, a creator-god, we would have to know everything that creator-god knows. We would have to be perfect or that creator-god would have to be imperfect because it would be giving us what they have, you know? So that's, that's all. But they, this isn't something that they just don't debate. They debate this for 20 years, around in circles, around in circles, for eight hours a day in the Chura. Um, in the Tibetan Buddhist monastery, this is one of the main debates. Um, it's from the Pramanavartika Karika. It's, it's so foundational to what so many parts of Buddhism require, this cause and effect and causal concordance, and, you know, causally concordant with its result. This idea is such a big thing for debate. They take uh, once a year and just debate the Pramanavartika Karika, and that's one of the main parts of it, because then that's how you get beginningless rebirth, that's how you get previous lives, you know, this cause and effect is how you prove that this isn't the only life in Buddhism, is that this came from a previous moment, from a previous moment, from a previous moment, and you can't logically establish something that was non-consciousness that suddenly intervened and started us up. We had to have already been started up or have some flow going. Anyway, but it's very interesting, you know. I'm not saying this is right, you are wrong. I'm just saying that this is what this says, you know. So in response to that, as I listen, I'm wondering... Can, we, and now, can we just direct questions at Rinpoche, too? Just because he's sure. like... We forget sometimes that Rinpoche's... This you know, is definitely yeah. directed cool. to him. I just, um, yeah, I'm wondering, because in my experience, science has very strict and firm 
um, boundaries and lines where this is this and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Buddhism stretches those boundaries. And if the complication is in the words that you're reading and what those words mean, words, as we know, are just sounds. And a lot of times those sounds don't capture the complete concept. It's like an incomplete prison for the concept. And that seems to be why there's a lot of um, trouble in some of the translations because the Buddhism and the, and the Sanskrit and the Tibetan has very profound meaning where a lot of the English words are just meaningless sounds sometimes because mm-hmm. they have so many meanings. Mm. So I'm wondering if maybe that difference that you're talking about would come more from encountering the sound of a meaning rather than applying a meaning you know if that makes any sense i think though that that there's specific meanings that do contradict that seem contradictory um but rimache in gk dan the puke the kejor because it's sarpa the long apju low mambo yo mare then Natsu Nampa Sarpa Nampa Sarpa. The ne Natsu Becha Sansan Kali Kapudu Gangin Sena Natsu Tsik Dunda the Data Dunda Yomare the 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 Puyi Tsik Dunda Injike Tsik Dunda Sansan Chipa Yomare Yene the Injike Tsik Chipa Mindu Natsu Me Natsu Mindu Dane Sunsang, Natsu Tsigenda Pechiche, then Natsu the Becha Trugudu Sansang, Kali Kapudu, then then the the Konde Lapsun, then Sansang Kali Kapudu, Gangin Sena, the Natsu Tsik, the Dunda, Sansang Hakogamare, the the Cheranso Nampa, the the Lo Chun Chun, Tsik de the Tseni. This seni tsoncha seni, this seni, the kadoki seni dunta ruat, then the kanga seni gutsogudu. Natsu seni yomare, the NGK natsu the lojung seni ewa, then soncha, then seni dan soncha. Natsu the lojung shegomare, the tsik dunda, sansang dunda je, dunda na yure, then the data kali kapudu, sansang. Then the Chiran Sanlo Garyu Be, Natsu the K Sarpa Zu? Tsik Sarpa? Indicate Tsik Sarpa Zu? The Gare. Gangan Sene the Kaju Tsik Genda Pecha Chegudu. And the Galupa, Galupa Kashe did Tsik Pecha Chegudu. Robert Thurman, Tsik Genda Pecha Chegudu. Jeffrey Hopkins, Tsik Genda Pecha Chegudu. Garfield, seek gender page I was saying all these translators and scholars use different words for the same uh, Tibetan word. So when we're reading the text, we aren't necessarily, we don't know that this word means that word in Tibetan. And I was saying to that Rinpoche that in the monastery, they study from when they're eight or nine, they define every word that they use in the book. From color to on up, color, form, shape, all the way. They define, literally, they have thousands of definitions of words by the time they get their degree. So they, when they read a word, they know that word means this, period. Um, so, so going to what you're saying, we don't have that. 
Um, so we do run into trouble because we don't have that specificity within words, um, but there are con things that are contradictory that, um, you know, like science has great machines, they don't see any Mount Meru. So the Dalai Lama said we have to be ready to say that the Mount Meru might have just been a concept or something that was talked about and that, um, you know, uh, was given to people who weren't really educated at the time and didn't have machines as, here, you, this is how the universe is, um, in order to simplify it. Then others will say that it's exactly right and that we don't have the karma to see it and that the Dalai Lama says that so he doesn't look like a maniac. So, you know, you can pick whichever it is, but some scholars will say, not, say no, the Abhidharma is not wrong. Um, there are ultimate dim major many dimensions and other universes and other planets with people living on those planets that we can't see, that science couldn't see with a machine. There's pure lands existing where there are Buddhas, according to our text. There's, the whole there's a whole body of a Buddha existing somewhere, teaching Arya Bodhisattvas in a place that's pure that science can't see. So, I just, I always wonder why, it's like, oh yeah, well, the Mount Meru isn't that, but we believe there's a dimension where Buddhas are teaching that we can't see. You know what I mean? So, I just, I think that we take a lot for granted based on our senses, and our senses are limited on our, by our karma. And that right now, Buddhism states that Buddhas, the, these are all alive. All of these Buddhas are Buddhas. And we don't have the karma to know that they're here with us. Can I just ask one more, more sure. simple question with yeah. regards to that? Can it be appropriate to say that science learns from an external analysis of what's being observed and maybe Buddhism takes what's observed and internalizes it? <laughs> Nang shedahako the shen shedahako do nampichu rang nang shedahako do nang nang la tenripa the rang shen hako do kon sampa the nampichu nang la nicha nicha the nampichu the salo mambo dang do Senripa de Kalen, then a Nampichu Trua Mambo Jagado. So I was saying uh, that science posits something, but then Buddhism would then have a lot of questions about why that was and how that was. That's all. All right, I think Rimbach, okay, maybe one more. Rimbache is feeling, I think, a little tired. Yes. So this is, this is all very new to me sure and the the idea that we don't exist and the things around us don't exist except in in interdependent way no uh that's not correct okay we definitely all exist that's that's the pitfall okay of studying this only a little because it's very easy to come to the conclusion that we don't exist mm -hmm. what this is saying mm -hmm. is that we don't exist the way we think we exist mm -hmm that we think that we have this concrete, mm -hmm. okay, I'm, I'm Jeff, okay? Mm -hmm. I believe that I'm Jeff, I'll always be Jeff. I don't see myself ending. Mm -hmm. I don't see there being 
any way I could be anything but Jeff. Mm -hmm. I have a very solid feeling of mm -hmm. this Jeff. Right. But I don't think about the fact that Jeff didn't exist a minute before I was born, mm -hmm. unless my parents prenamed me. I have no idea. Then mm -hmm. this thing came out mm -hmm. with parts mm -hmm. that you're supposed to name, mm -hmm. and then a name Jeff was put on it. So then I identified as years went on with this, and now I feel like there's some concrete Jeff, mm -hmm. and I react to my environment as such, as there's this concrete thing that um, is and always will be. Mm -hmm. But it's merely Buddhism saying that we need to understand that it's just a collection of things that came together mm -hmm. that made us exist. We do exist, and, but we exist in a way that came together f from our parents, for instance. Um, our parents decided to have a baby, then they had a baby, and then the baby came out, and then it was named. It was a boy, so Jeff was an appropriate name. They didn't name me Lisa. Uh, you know, so um, there was all this interdependence that came together mm -hmm. for the Jeff that's sitting here right now. And I cling to it as if it's something singular mm -hmm. that isn't, based on all of these dependent things. Yeah. So and then when we take it to, the reason that's important is that when we take it to a car, for instance, we say, that's a really nice car. Mm -hmm. But it's when we understand it's just a collection of parts that mm -hmm. are named as nice car, mm -hmm. and that somebody who has much more money than us will think it's a junky car, and will think that, and then name it as a junk car, mm -hmm. that car doesn't have any inherent existence of this or that. Mm -hmm. I don't have any inherent existence of Jeff. Mm -hmm. It's just a bunch of stuff that came together and that are suitable to be called as Jeff and that I identify as Jeff. Mm -hmm. But and I'm here. We're right. all here for 100%. And the only thing that, that I was wondering from Ramache is when, when you get to a place where you understand the difference, is, yes. is, that, is that kind of the process of enlightenment that you're talking about and, and kind of... Does that toggle back and forth? Do you once you get enlightenment, do you always experience it, or okay. do you, or do you kind of forget and then have to toggle back to it? Kon shera sarpa, then the ton tonba ni shera kali kabudu, then the kon the the satambo, satambo, then kon triwa the tambo triwa the tonba ni ngatsu mepa, then ge lenja mepa yomare. Natsu yure the dendel dupa ming da ne de lasso. Dene kon triwa jasu. Natsu the Natsu demba madrupa shina de shanchup. Natsu de shina de shanchu yin. The tonlan the dits gechi she kong sapa. The shebala ten is on two drugs. Less so. Shebala den. Okay, so. Independence upon realizing that truth, one can become enlightened. But that realization is not enlightenment. Um, so, moa, the shanchu yomare, garishene, gangsena tonlam. The doni dopi shira yena, the shanchu. Shanchu garishene mayen. Less 
Um, so we don't say that the realization of the nature of reality or the realization of emptiness is enlightenment. It's not, uh, when we look at enlightenment, we divide it into three categories. There's Hinayana enlightenment, hearers and solitary realizer, and then there's Mahayana enlightenment. And none of them would be um, considered when one realizes the nature of reality. Now, realizing the nature of reality is a cause for being enlightened. And the reason this is, is one realizes the nature of reality along what's called the five paths at the third path. There's five paths are the path of accumulation, the path of preparation, the path of seeing, path of meditation, and the path of no more learning. And the first two paths of accumulation and preparation, one is learning and coming to the um, incontrovertible understanding that the eye is not truly established, that the eye is empty, but still exists. It's a very fine line between the two that one needs to analyze for a very long time, and it becomes more and more clear what it means as you do. Um, so you go through the path of accumulation and path of preparation where you're becoming very familiar to the point of where it's not controvertible. You know emptiness is real. And then at the path of seeing, you actually directly perceive emptiness, whatever that means. You have the experience of the lack of true establishment. You realize the identitylessness of the self and so forth in an experience that's non-conceptual. It's a non-conceptual experience. That's at the path of seeing. At that point, coarse afflictions, the afflictions are um, the negativities that we have in our mental continuum. Our mental continuum is what keeps being born over and over again according to Buddhism, and the negativities are called afflictions. And when we see emptiness directly, because these negativities have at their root ignorance, the coarse ones are just done away with because we no longer incorrectly perceive things the way that we did, and we know for sure from an experience that things don't operate the way we previously thought that they did. So at that point, the coarse afflictions are then um, gotten rid of. And then for a Hinayanist, they go through various um, practices of refinement to get to the point where they become arhats. The Mahayanists become a Buddha. Um, and they go through a series of much more refining um, of understanding of emptiness, getting rid of all of the afflictions, and then getting rid of the imprints of the afflictions too. So that's the difference between um, the enlightenments. There's an enlightenment of a Hinayanist that's nirvana. You hear of nirvana. Um, and then there's the reality of a Buddha. The nirvana, um, those beings still have the imprints left of the afflictions, just no afflictions. Um, that's what keeps them from being omniscient. That's what keeps them from being all-knowing. That's the kind of barrier to all-knowing. And it's stated that it's the removal of those through various paths and understanding that allows one to become omniscient, to become a Buddha. Not omnipotent. There's no omnipotence in Buddhahood, in Buddhism. There's just omniscience. And there's a belief that everyone will achieve it. That all beings have the same uh, ingredients. Back to this cause and effect thing. That all of us have the ingredients to become enlightened, just like the Buddha did. Um, so there's no um, reason to say that we don't all have a Buddha nature about us because we all have that potential, um, because we have a consciousness that um, can be turned into something which is um, all good 
um, and has no fault. So life after life, you're trying to remove faults from this consciousness, according to Buddhism. You're trying to clean the faults and remove ignorance. And, And a Buddha is someone who has removed all the faults and the imprints of the faults and has no ignorance. All right. Concluding mandala offering and dedication prayer to Chana Rinpoche, Gongel Mepachik. Sorry, I had a moment. <laughs> the fundamental ground is scented with incense and strewn with flowers, adorned with Mount Meru, the four continents, the sun and the moon. I imagine this as a Buddha land and offer it. May all sentient beings enjoy this pure realm. I dedicate whatever virtues I have collected for the benefit of the teachings of all sentient beings, and in particular for the essential teachings of Venerable Lozandrapa to shine forever. I send forth this jeweled mandala to you, precious Guru. I dedicate all this virtue to emulate the knowledge of the hero Manjushri and likewise Samantabhadra as well, with whatever dedication is praised as supreme by all the conquerors who traverse the three times. I also dedicate all my roots of virtue for the sake of auspicious deeds. In that pure land surrounded by snowy mountains, you are the source of all benefit and happiness. All powerful Avogateshvara attends in Yatso, may he say, until samsara's end. I pray for the long life of the precious Kensar Wandok upholder of scriptural and realizational doctrines, spiritual friend who trained extensively in the five great philosophical texts with exceptional wisdom and perseverance.